And uh, you guys can turn to the Psalms again. We're going to jump into another, another Psalm, Psalm 13. And, uh, yeah, you know, there was um, kind of just a, a general, you know, theme or, or words and kind of part of the first part of the scripture that has been hanging with me for a couple of weeks. And um, uh, because it's something that, you know, I've definitely been through these seasons multiple times in my life, and I see guys going through them constantly, even guys, you know, in this room now that I would say that I believe, and just because I'm looking at you now as I'm scanning across the room doesn't mean I'm, you know, saying it's you, but if it is you, then, you know, you can, you can listen up. Yeah, point to the guy behind you or next to you and just say, hey, it's you. Um, but even people that I would say, you know, just, just, by, just by seeing, you know, sometimes in our life we carry, you know, so much just even on our face in the way that we walk, in the way that we talk, uh, in the way that we engage the Lord in different things. And, um, and then just, you know, like I said, time in Teen Challenge, even, you know, as I was doing my internship and, and counseling uh, some uh, uh, in other guys, uh, I see it and, and, I, and I have helped people walk through it and, and really from my own experience. And so I want to use this psalm tonight to talk about this. Uh, we'll jump into it in a second. And I want to kind of... Um, kind of do it in a way that's kind of my own observations and my and some of my own learned lessons about going through this type of a season and uh and hopefully give you something to chew on and to think about and hopefully you know in your own way implement uh to be able to continue moving forward in a powerful way all right so kind of you know i guess and it worked out since this is you know my graduation weekend i'm imparting you know something maybe to you something that i've learned along the way i don't know but uh we're going to jump into psalm chapter 13 here in a minute i'm going to be reading from the new living translation Uh, i just really love the wording uh, of that uh, translation but you know studying the psalms can be really interesting when you read um, commentaries and stuff like that because you know they often talk Psalms tend to be very poetic, and so about things that are, you know, poetic in nature and that genre of, of, um, of literature and stanzas and, you know, repetitions and parallel things and thoughts and ideas and chiastic structures and all these sorts of things, the way that it's written to draw out meaning. And, and then they go to great lengths with all of the Psalms to try to connect them in their historical context because any, anything in the Bible that you can connect to its historical context really helps you better understand its meaning. And really not just better understand its meaning, but understand its right meaning. Uh, because in case you haven't noticed, people will just preach whatever they want to sometimes. <laughs> and, and then when you get in and you really study uh, what was actually intended for it to say, it can be quite different. And so, um, but, you know, be, but because of that, because sometimes the, the historical context of some of these psalms is quite drastic, or maybe some of them are even unknown, um, that, uh, that it can be sometimes hard to connect to on that basis because not too many of us in this place are uh, have uh, are on the run, you know, hiding out in a cave by ourselves, being chased by some, you know, evil king of some nation uh, that we've been serving our entire life. Uh, maybe unless you've gone on a like a really bad trip or something, <laughs> you know, and you you thought some king from somewhere was chasing you and you were hiding in a cave, but uh, <laughs> so like a crazy movie. Uh, you know, not too many of us uh, just you know murdered the husband of the woman that we had an affair with, and we're trying to to cover it up. You know, some of those situations are, are seem kind of drastic, but 
I think that all of them, you know, the, the power of them is when we're, we're able to take the principles and apply it to our own life and time, right? And so the Psalms are incredibly powerful that way, and they're meant to be read like that. You know, they're meant to connect with people. They're individuals that God led to write these poems and to write these words and these prayers and these songs so that they could both help individuals, you know, during that time. But they're meant to be enduring. Like God, the, the Psalms are a gift to the people of, of God, right? They're not just a random collection of, of writings. They're not random at all. They're very purposely even ordered in, in separate books and the way that they're organized together so that we would use them on a regular basis. You know, oftentimes we treat the Psalms just like, well, I don't really know what to read. You know, I've been studying real hard, so I'm just going to read the Psalms. <laughs> you know, they're kind of like the stepchild of the rest of the Bible. It's like, you know, well, you're new to the Bible, you don't understand, so just read the Psalms, you know, you'll be okay. But that's not really what it's intended for. There's really deep work that can be done and is supposed to be done as we read through them and as we pray through them, uh, because there's, it's just like anything else. You know, what's one of the most powerful things? That, you know, I know in my life, one of the most powerful uh, forms of communication for me is music, right, is, is the arts and things like that. And so this is that form of communication uh, in Scripture. And so I hope that in, as we've, you know, you know, read, gone through a couple of these, and as you read through them here at Teen Challenge, that you would learn to engage with them uh, more deeply than just, you know, motivational phrases and, and uh, you know, little thoughts and things that you can, you can get from here and there. Um, because uh, the reality is, is, you know, we're all going through stuff, right? And we all have real emotions, and we all have real stru <clears throat> struggles. And, uh, and you see that a lot in the psalm, right? Real struggle, Right. Real conflict and real confrontation. People maybe acting and communicating with God in ways that we thought that uh, and maybe we've been taught like it's not OK to talk to God like that. It's not OK to talk to somebody in authority like that. But there's different places where it's like like, you know, they get they get really real. Um, and even though we haven't experienced some of those things that I mentioned before, being chased down by some wicked king, you know, we, we are being chased down. You know, even by addiction, addiction tries to chase us down. And, you know, we felt alone. We felt sometimes when we're depressed or when we feel lonely, we can feel like we're stuck in a dark cave somewhere with no way out. Right. Uh, we felt the regret and the guilt of our past decisions and, and the consequences that we faced because of those things. I'm sure just like David did. Right. Uh, we may not have been rebuked by our in-house prophet, but we've been rebuked by staff. We've been rebuked by pastors and friends and parents and different kinds of people. So there are things in there that we have, uh, you know, uh, a direct correlation to. But like I said tonight, I want to approach this, uh, try to as much as possible to draw it into our, our specific context and this season that we're in. And not just, you know, the pandemic season and all that. Of course, that's part of the season that you are in and that we're all in. But the season of, of the 12-month residential program of Team Challenge, Right, going through this mess. At times, maybe we think it's nonsense, craziness, whatever adjective or word that you want to attach, you know, in that spot, whatever it is for you at different moments, uh, you're in it and you're going through it, and we all are, 
right? And it doesn't really matter. And I think one of the things that we lose focus of is we think it's just a teen challenge thing, right? Because we're narrowly focused as if teen challenge is the only place where we have problems. Well, the reality is, is if you're looking at it rightly, teen challenge, problems that you have here that we make mountains out of molehills of are very small in, in stature compared to the real problems, you know, once we get outside of these doors. But like I said, I want to bring it into present context. I want to use some of my own, you know, thoughts and insights and some of the things that I've gained. Um, but there's, because one of the, the most important things to remember, and I've, and I've said this before, is, um, you know, having success here in this place in, in every area and finishing strong and, and fighting every fight and, and, and completing every battle is so much more important than you know. Because in each and every moment and in each and every stage and in each and every place, you get to the place where you feel like, I, I feel like giving up now or I've gotten all I, I wanted. There's, there's so much to be gained in those moments. In fact, it's those moments where there's probably the most to be gained than all of the other moments. You know, we tend to look at the good moments, the feel good moments are the places where we really learn or we really connected. But it's being able to push through the resistance and push through the problems and push through the pain where we're really able to grow the most. You know, instead of getting to that place where we say, man, I've gotten enough and, you know, I've gotten all I, I, I can, you know, it's, it's time for me to move on. Instead of having a, a, I've gotten enough mentality, learn to have an all I can get mentality, right, to reverse that around. Instead of having, well, there's nothing else here for me, instead of having a nothing else mentality, learn to have a what else mentality, Instead of having an I can't do anything that I want to do mentality, have uh, a, uh, a be present mentality, right? It's acknowledging the frustrations, acknowledging the anxieties and acknowledging those things and, and, and resisting the obsessive thoughts to do other things. And in and, and the process of time, those things go away. Instead of having an I've had enough of this place mentality, learn to have a what is it about me that still needs to grow to increase my capacity for handling the uncomfortable mentality. Let me say it again. Instead of having an I've had enough of this place mentality, learn to have a what is it about me that still needs to grow to increase my capacity for handling the uncomfortable mentality. Instead of having a I'm wasting my time have a mentality or instead of having a dis time despising mentality, learn to have a time valuing mentality. And all of this is easier said than done. Um, because, like I said, our experiences are real. Our emotions are real. Um, but I see people who, who struggle and, and make these statements all the time. And I don't know how many countless times I've made them myself. But it's psalms like this that when we really dig into them and let us speak to us and draw out of us our frustrations and emotions, that they can really have uh, some powerful things to say. So here are my observations from Psalm chapter 13. We're going to read it first, and then I'm going to jump to uh, four or five things, and uh, then we're going to close uh, with a song. <clears throat> Psalm chapter 13, and I'm going to grab my water. A Psalm of David says, O Lord, how long will you forget me? Forever? How long will you look the other way? How long must I struggle with anguish in my soul, with sorrow in my heart every day? How long will my enemy have the upper hand? Turn and answer me, O Lord my God. Restore the sparkle to my eyes, or I will die. Don't let my enemies gloat, saying, we have defeated him. Don't let them rejoice at my downfall. 
But I trust in your unfailing love. I will rejoice because you have rescued me. I will sing to the Lord because he is good to me. One of my first observations or things that come to mind when I read through this passage of scripture and I think about the how long seasons. Because if we're honest in here, how many have had a how long season? Like, is this ever going to end? Right? It's starting to get ridiculous now, Lord. Like, I can't, I've, I was done like two weeks ago, right? It's how long is this going to happen? Well, when we face those how long seasons, those frustrating seasons, one of the things that I've learned is that it's easy to feel that God has forgotten us and turned his face from us. And, you know, the words, these, for, you have forgotten me, you have turned your face from me, those words in ancient Hebrew language and culture were ways for them to communicate was no longer acting on their behalf and may in some way be the cause of the pain that they're experiencing. You say, you've turned your face from me. You know, God's face being upon someone was a sign of prosperity, uh, uh, approval, but it was also a way of communicating that God was acting and powerfully working on their behalf, right? When they say, you have forgotten me, it's not just that the thoughts are gone, but it's also the action. Because we see throughout Scripture that God is a God of action. God is a God of moving. God is a God of changing, of saving, of delivering, of doing all of these different types of things. And then we get in these moments where we're struggling and we don't see those types of things happen. It's so easy for us to get into that place where now we believe that God is just taking a vacation. Right. And when he took a vacation, he turned his phone off. He, he shut down his email. He closed everything off. We can't get to him. We can't yell loud enough. We can't cry hard enough. We can't do anything because God has forgotten us. He's gone and he might not be ever coming back. And not, not only is he might not ever be coming back. In fact, he may have turned on me and he's the one now that's doing this to me. Have you ever felt like that before? Like God pulled a bait and switch. Oh, he brought me to Teen Challenge just to, you know, really put the smack down on me. I thought I was going to a place that could help. And here I am. God pulled out the whip, the cat and nine tails and pounding me. But that's really not what we, we see in Scripture. We get in that place where I'm in this situation, but God, it's your fault. It's your fault that I'm here, that I feel this way. And one of the things that I've learned about myself and about individuals that have battled addiction and are going through Teen Challenge is that we tend to have huge battles with trust, right? We tend to not trust anybody. You come in the doors and you don't trust the staff. Six, seven, eight months later, you still don't trust the staff. You graduate, you probably still don't trust the staff <laughs> because you, you're just still battling that thing inside, right? But, if, but we don't, maybe don't trust those in our room. We don't trust our parents. We don't trust because we've experienced a lot of things, right? We've experienced a lot of hurt. We've experienced a lot of pain. We've seen the worst in people. But the problem is, and the biggest thing that we miss in this whole equation is that we've experienced the worst in ourselves, and the problem that happens when you experience the worst in yourself is now you view the world through that lens, and now that's the standard by which you judge everybody else. And now you think, because I'm incompetent, because I can't do it, because I'm untrustworthy, now it means that they're untrustworthy, but then we believe the lies so strongly that it's not only 
they're untrustworthy, but I am actually trustworthy. I'm the one that's living right. I'm the one that's doing the right thing. I'm the one that's thinking the right thing. I'm the one that's saying the right thing. It's all them who are crazy. We have an issue with trust. You know, we say to God, you said you would do this for me. You said you would restore my family. You said you would bring back my kids, but I, I don't see it happening. I'm supposed to feel better by now. I'm supposed to not feel this way anymore. I held up my end of the bargain, God. Where are you? Man, I've said that before. Where are the miracles that everybody's talking about and singing about and in the songs that we have? God, you have forgotten me and you've turned your face from me. But I've learned in my own life uh, that when I think God has forgotten me, that it's actually the other way around. I forgot where I was when God rescued me. I forgot who I was when God rescued me. I forgot that I'm the one that can't be trusted. And it's amazing to me that we get into situations, we get into trouble, and we get into these moments of crisis, and we somehow find it easy to, to, to lose the fact that we're the ones that can't be trusted, right? That it's everybody else. For some reason, there's something that happens to us when, whenever we, we get into these situations and we want to, to put it on everybody else and, and we forget that we're the ones who got ourselves into this situation. We're the ones who said the lies. We're the ones who sold the drugs, who did the drugs, who cheated, who did all of these other different things. And we, we forget that the addiction, the very addiction that we were carrying inside of us is a whole lot greater and stronger and more powerful and lies more than we ever thought. And it will do anything and go to any length to get us back to the place that we were because there's actual physical changes going on inside of our bodies that we don't understand. And, and, and it's sneaky. It messes with our thoughts and our emotions and our memories. But we will do best when we remember to trust not when it's what's in our own hearts and minds, but to trust in the Lord. Instead of getting into these places and saying, well, it's everybody else that I can't trust, remember that we're the ones who came to this place needing help in the first place. And if there's anything that needs to be questioned in moments of trust, perhaps it's myself. That's just what I've learned. Just telling you what I've learned. You can do whatever you want with it. Another thing that I've learned that, uh, that I see here in this psalm, when I think about the how long seasons, is however much we wish that we could, we can't escape time. And ever since we were kids, we've been trying to escape time, right? I even see it in my boys now. They started riding bikes. You know, Liam, when he was three, Juddy not to be outdone at two without training wheels. He rode off at, at two years old or three years old. He was riding off the steps right out here. You know, the little, like, step that goes down from the house onto the thing. And the first time he did it, he went riding out. I had it on video. He went riding out, and the front went down. He went flying over the front of the handlebars, landed on his face, got right back up on the bike, went around and did it again and landed it the second time, you know? And, and then not long after that, it's when is it time for me to drive the car? <laughs> and it's like you're not even five years old yet. You're trying to drive the car because we're always trying to escape time. 
We're always trying to move ahead, to move faster, to get someplace. You know, just like I said earlier, I'm where I am at 38, when I, where I wish I was at 28. There's this, there's this aspect of time that our lives are just bound by that we have a hard time coming to terms with, both for the bad and for the good. You know, my boys, they get frustrated when they can't do things, and, and sometimes they, 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 or, they're, or they're not quite as good at it, and they just want to give up, and they want to quit, but, they're, but when they focus, I can see when they, de- they are determined to stick something out, right, to go through the process of time and to do what is necessary. They always come out successful. They always do well. They always get it eventually, but it's those moments where they want to escape time and either be, well, I just want to be this good right now or I'm not going to do it at all. And we place these parameters on our, our lives that are both just not according to reality, but they're unfair to ourselves. Imagine, like, what would you say to somebody else that came to you and told you, well, I, I want to be a, a preach as good as him, and I just came into the program yesterday. He was like, slow down just a second. Get through the program, like, in time, right? I want to be married, and I want to have a family, and I want to do all these things. Okay, that can happen in Time. You cannot escape time. And we also have to remember why this is so important is because God operates within what it is that we give him with our lives. And you can think of, of your life and the things that God does in your life as ingredients. Anybody in here like to cook or bake, right? All right. So now I know how many guys need, need to give me a graduation present next week, right? <laughs> Some cookies. Now, I love making chocolate chip cookies. In fact, my chocolate chip cookies have been dubbed crack cookies before because they're just so good and addicting. I'm just saying that. They, I got the recipe from like the 1930s or 40s when there was like so much butter and sugar in them that today they would be illegal. Uh, but that's why they're like so good. But when you think about making something, right, you have to have the right ingredients, right? If you, if you want to make chocolate chip cookies, but you don't have chocolate chips, you have raisins instead. Well, by nature, it's not a chocolate chip cookie anymore, right? <laughs> because it doesn't have chocolate chips in it. But not only do you have to have the, 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 the right ingredients, but the ingredients have to be mixed together properly. And they have to be mixed together at the right time. When I make chocolate chip cookies in one bowl, I mix the flour and the baking soda and the salt, right, the dry goods. And in another bowl, I put the sugars and the butters and, and the vanilla and the eggs and all that stuff, the, the wetter stuff, the stuff that mixed together. And you mix one real well the first time. And then the time comes that you pour the other stuff in and you mix it up together. And you see that God can only work with the ingredients that we give him. And God can only work with the ingredients that are within the situation that we find ourselves. And so our lives often work like this. When, uh, whenever we have the ingredients of respect or hard work or a good attitude, good choices, then oftentimes it leads to blessing in our life, right? Or if we have the ingredients of drugs and a bad attitude and crime and all of these other types of things, it often leads to hard times and, and tough situations and, 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 and a lack of blessing. And then there's times even in our lives where we face abuse or injustices, things that are done to us. There's still ingredients that that are incorporated into our life that God has to work with to get us to a certain place. And what we have to remember is, is if you change one ingredient, the recipe is changed. And so you could have hard work and, 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 and good choices, but a bad attitude. 
And you might not have the same outcome as if you had hard work, good choices, and a good attitude. And so God works with the ingredients that we give him, but also the ingredients of the environment through which we, he finds us in. And what we have to remember is that the more that we fight, fake, or flop, the longer it takes to produce what is he's trying to produce. The more we fight the time and we fight the ingredients that God is working together, the more that we fake them. How often, because of our background and because our lack of trust, do we find ourselves in a pattern of faking it till you make it? What I've found is, is those who fake it never make it. It's not a true statement. There is no faking it till you make it, not in the street and not in the church, right? It doesn't matter what situation you find yourself in. You are either real or you are not. And so the challenge is, is to determine, am I real or am I not? And if I'm not, then I have to be honest enough to go back and start from the beginning and find out the ingredients that I'm missing and that I need to present to God or allow God to introduce into the recipe of my life so that I can be made into what it is that God wants to make. We have to trust that if God has us in a situation, then he has the ingredients there necessary for working us into the life and the finished product that he has. It just takes time. You can't escape it. You can't go around it. You can't go underneath it, over it, pray it away, shout it away, worship away. You can't change it. You can only go through it. So learning to to, to heed and to take advantage of the time. The next uh, observation that I have for those how long seasons is that we will go through seasons where we feel the despair of God's silence. You know, David, as he's writing this, he's saying these words for a reason, right? This wasn't just a poem that he thought, oh, man, I should write a poem about God forgetting me so that one day it can help someone. No, the man feels like he's been forgotten, that God is silent, that God is not speaking, that God is not with him. In fact, that God is against him. And we will go through those moments where we feel the despair of God's silence. And the question is, and the most important thing is, is how will we respond? Because it's at that place that we have a choice to either resent God for not meeting our demands or seek God to train our heart, soul, and mind to maintain life in the midst of dry times. Will we learn to embrace the thirst for his silence? Embrace it and pursue it and to seek it out. You know, the silence of God is one of the most devastating phenomena that can happen in our life when we're really, truly seeking God because we don't understand it. Every time it feels terrible, it just, it does. There's like not really any moment that I've had where I felt God was silent that it just didn't like kill me inside, right? Because I just automatically turn it to, you know, either what's wrong with God or what's wrong with me. And in either one of those situations, I'm not happy, right? (laughs) Because God has either failed me or I've failed and I don't like either one of those situations. And it seems endless. God could be silent for two days and you felt like you've just been like six months without God doing anything or saying anything. But what we have to remember about that is there's a reason. It's because his voice and his action is so good that his silence seems so devastating. 
And so what do we do then? We learn to seek his voice. We learn to seek his person. We learn to seek his action, to seek his thoughts, to seek his heart so that it can become manifest in us, even in those moments that God is not actively or, or audibly speaking himself. God wants to plant in us the seeds of his person, the seeds of his power, the seeds of his anointing, the seeds of his presence inside of us so that it can maintain us in those moments where he is silenced. But there's a couple of things that I've learned my Myself, as I've gone through these seasons that I, again, just what I've learned, not saying that anybody has to, to take this for anything, don't mistake your selfishness for God's silence. Because here's the reality, God doesn't exist to fulfill our demands. And the other part is that he is not obligated to do anything when we are always on the fence. You know, oftentimes we get into situations, we stop trusting God, we pull away, we make demands, we seem to put the spotlight on God and say, all right, it's on you now. And the reality is it's not so much that God's being silent as he is not giving in to our selfishness. Because if God just gave in all the time to our selfishness, then we become like that kid that always just throws a fit in the, at, in the line next to the candy, and, and our and parents just can't say no, and they get it to them all the time, and they become spoiled, and, and so on and so forth, and they move that way through their whole entire life. God does not exist to respond to our selfishness. He exists to destroy our selfishness. And sometimes there's no greater way to, for God to destroy our selfishness than to stand back and to just be quiet. And here's a little secret. When you're dealing with selfish people in your life, oftentimes there's no greater response for you to do than to stand back and just be quiet. Don't be drawn into it. Don't be pulled along by it. Don't be influenced by it. Just stand back and just let them have their thing. Right? Just let them go through their whole situation. But don't mistake God's silence for your selfishness when you're trying to put God in a position to do exactly what you want and you need him to do. And he's just not going there. When God is really silent, it's because God has a purpose in it. There is something that God is doing in those moments that he wants us to seek out. The other observation is that don't mistake God's silence as dissatisfaction. Just because God is silent in a moment or a season does not mean he doesn't like you. It does not mean he's against you. It doesn't mean necessarily that you've done something wrong or that, that, there, that, that, that something needs to happen. His silence always shows us where we are, not where he is. It's not about him. It's not about him at all. It's about us. And the, the thing that we need to ask ourselves is if we're ready to quit, when we need to really ask ourselves, were we really as near to him as we thought we were? And I've learned that about people in my life, too. You go through a tough situation. Oh, I thought we were like family. And they come and they attack you and they yell at you and they call you names and they, they throw things and they want to, you know, we're family. Family's not supposed to do what you did. Well, family's not supposed to do what you're doing right now either. And if you're ready to give up, if you're ready to quit, if you're just coming out cursing me we, before we've even had a conversation, obviously you weren't very good family either. But just because God is silent does not mean he's dissatisfied. Sometimes it's just us getting a glimpse of how off we have been the entire time. And God is using it to draw us back. If we will humble ourselves, if we will, if we will run to him instead of away from him. 
Another observation is we have enemies in various forms, as this says, uh, outside forces attacking us and trying to steal our lives. We'll have at different times in our life people who are against us. We'll have maybe different places, times, or, or, or so areas of society, pockets of society that can be against us. Addiction is against us. And our own sinfulness You know, there's a war that wages just right in here, right in here on a constant basis that so often we want to deflect and and we want to blame and we want to find a reason for it out there. But sometimes we just have to accept, well, it's just a war that's going on right now and I either need to get into it and begin winning it or I need to, to throw in the towel and just be conquered. And I know that not anybody in here wants to do that. You didn't come to this place to throw in the towel. You didn't go through the things that you've gone through to throw in the towel, not here and not anywhere else, because if you do it here, then you're going to do it everywhere you go the rest of your life. And God brought you to this place so that you would learn to not do that anymore. And you think that, well, yeah, I was out there. I was hard. I was doing dope. And I was, I was doing this and carrying guns and selling this. I was, I was the real deal. No, you weren't. You were the biggest running chicken that there ever has been. You never faced anything your whole entire life. You were never a man. You ran from every single problem that you ever had. Just because you shot somebody doesn't mean you solved anything. You found a way to to get yourself out of it, and you were so weak that you had to take somebody else's life for fear that they were actually going to take you down because you are that weak. We have to be honest with ourselves and understand that, yes, there are real enemies out there, but we have to learn to actually identify the real enemies from the fake ones, the ones that we've made up, the ones that we've erected ourselves so that we can justify our actions. The less time that you give to your enemies, the less they'll bother you. The less time that you give thought to them, that you pay attention to them, that you worry about them, that you talk to them, the less time that you spend anywhere around them, the less they're going to bother you. But see, the problem is is that we often get so insecure that we love the drama, right? Or we just have to respond. We just have to say, we have to fight. We have to do all these sorts of things. But the the reality is is we just keep kicking the can down the road. We just keep creating further problems for ourselves. The, the power of defeating your enemies is to give them less time, both in your thought life, but also in your addictions. The, the less time that you give your addictions, the less they're going to bother you. The less time that you give to the things that trigger your addictions, the less that your addictions are going to bother you. See where I'm, where I'm going with this? The less time that you spend giving into, doing, talking, thinking about your enemies, the less that they're going to bother you because they have no power over you anymore. And the worst thing that we can do is plead to God to save us and to protect us and go through a little bit of trial, a little tribulation, and then turn around and go back to the very same things we were asking God to deliver us from for help and protection. That's just insanity. God is not, has not, and will never be our enemy. He died to make that true, that he will never be our enemy. And uh, the next one, there's two short ones, and then we're going to close with a song. The next one is that we have a God to cry out to. You know, the psalmist said, turn and answer me, O Lord, my God. My God. You know, restore the sparkle of my eyes. And, 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 and he was able to still connect with God on this way. And I say to press into the desire for God. Don't resent it. You know, one of the, the things that comes with, a, with trust issues is resentment. 
issues, right? We hold grudges. We, 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 we hold feelings towards people that, that haven't even really done anything. But the fact is we just don't trust them, and so we resent them. We become jealous of them when, they, when good things happen to them. We, we get frustrated at everything that they do and everything that they say. And sometimes we can treat God that way. We can have these feelings, and we can get in this place where we don't really trust God right now because he seems silent. He doesn't seem like he's really doing anything for me or he's really helping me right now. And so now I'm going to resent God, but the feelings that I have for God, because for some reason I have this desire for God that I can't get rid of, and the desire keeps making me want God, but God just doesn't seem to want me, and I'm going around in these circles, and I'm getting myself all worked up, and I'm frustrated, and I'm angry, and I don't know what to do with it all, and God said, you don't resent the fact that you have a God to cry out to. Don't resent the fact that you have the desire for God. You have that desire for a reason. Hold on to that reason and be willing to search it out. Don't hold on to your fears and your, your lack of trust, but press on in your faith. Remember a couple of weeks ago I said faith is not is not getting to a place where we have all the answers. Faith is the thing that forges ahead in the midst of confusion and pain and hardship and a lack of answers. Faith is the thing that's, it's the starship or, or whatever is the thing that Captain Picard drove through the, 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 uh, the sky, the, the, you know, out there, outer space. <laughs> it's the, it's, it's, you know, faith is the thing that leads us and it takes us further into the journey of knowing who God is and knowing who we are and dealing with the mess of it all. And in the midst of that, when we have a God to cry out to, don't give in to the depression. Don't give in to the negativity. Don't give in to the frustrations. Don't give in to the hurt and don't give in to the pain, but cry out like David did here. He says, and, and it's a very powerful phrase when you think about it, he says, restore the sparkle to my eyes or I will die. You know, the eyes in, in ancient times were seen as the gateway into the soul. And things, and there's often depiction, you know, the, the eyes were very important. And often the way that the eyes are looking, whether the eyes are looking up or the eyes are looking down or they're looking this way or they're looking that way would mean various different things. And it was the condition of the eyes that was so important. And so when he's saying, return the sparkle to my eyes, it's like saying, God, there was, your, you know, your glory was caught up in my eyes. God, your, your, your person, your manifestation and we think about those scriptures I look to the heavens for where my help comes from right restore the sparkle to my eyes so that I don't that my life is not taken from me you know the sparkle of my eye you know when you think about those uh in in movies or commercials when when somebody sees something they really like there's that right this little sparkle of the eye it's like it's like almost saying God help me to fall in love with you again Right, God, re restore me to that place where you and I were, were an item. God, where you and I were just connected, where you and I were in love, where nothing could take that space. You know, the Bible refers to God as the lifter of our heads. Trust that. You know, let him lift, press in, get to know him, get close to him. And that's what he's going to do. And the last one, and then uh, we're going to close with a song. And you guys could come up and get ready because uh, we'll, we'll sing this here in just a second. Um, in your prayers, in your conversations, you know, in everything that, uh, everything that you do as much as possible, always try to close with joy and not sorrow. Because the way you end will be the way that you begin. And I, I firmly, I say that all the time. 
you know, the way that we end one season is the way that we begin one next. I talked about that last time. But I even believe that the way that we end a conversation is the way that we begin the next one. For those of you who are married, how many times have you gotten in an argument with your wife and you didn't resolve it? What happens the next time you see them? It's all joy and roses and happiness and no baby come here and kiss me. No, <laughs> somebody's got a problem, right? There's standoffishness, there's closed offishness, there's anger, there's resentment, there's, you know, don't talk to me, you know, don't touch me, don't come close. You know, this, there's, even in our conversation, you know, and I've even learned, you know, it's okay to, to vent to the Lord. God wants us to come to be real. God wants us to come and, and get rid of those frustrations and those angers. But I'd like to challenge you to take a lesson from the Psalms. If you read through the Psalms enough times, you're going to realize that the psalmist will often come with deep and devastating thoughts and words sometimes, saying some things, like I said, that we would think you can't even really say that to God. But at the end of the psalm, he says something like he says that he says here. But I trust in your unfailing love. I will rejoice because you have rescued me. I will sing to the Lord because he's good to me. You know, how many times do we... Do we end a conversation and we just leave discord? We just leave discomfort. You know what happens is the next time when we think about, even in prayer, when we leave God that way the first time, the next time when God says, hey, come back, let's have a conversation, it's like, uh, I don't know. There's some tension between us, God. You know, until that, that's gone. I don't really want to have that conversation. You know, and so then we just kind of take a few steps back. And, 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 we, and we, we don't come back to God for those conversations. Just like we do in real life, we run. And then the trust issues start to happen again. And she's like, well, here we go again. Here's another relationship that's going just the way that all my other relationships have gone before. It started out well and it started out good, but now things are falling apart. And I just, it feels uncomfortable. And I just don't want to go back to that place. And the prayer thing is just not really working for me. And all the times God is saying, yeah, but we're good. Just come back and let's finish the conversation. But I think if you'll try just this one simple thing, that even the maddest that you get sometimes with God and you air out your frustrations, try ending your prayer or your conversation with him with words like those. God, I'm angry. I'm, in fact, I'm mad as hell right now. But I will trust in your unfailing love. I will continue to seek you because I know that you're good. I know that this situation I don't understand right now, but God, I know you're good. And so I'm going to trust I'm going to see victory, and, 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 I'm, and I believe that. And just see if that begins over time to change your perspective and the way that you view the secret place and you view, view prayer and you view you connecting with God. Try it with those people that you just don't seem to really like. Instead of walking away from a situation thinking, man, that guy's an idiot. I don't really like that guy, blah, blah, doing this, his breath smells, blah, blah, whatever else. Walk away from the situation thinking of all of the positive things about that person. Walk away from that, per that person appreciating them. And then take it the next step. Before you walk away from that person, appreciate them. Before you leave that person in that conversation, tell them what has actually gone into your mind and see if things begin to change a little bit. What I've learned about relationships is that, that I always get out of them what I put into them. And most of the time when I stand back and I get frustrated because somebody else just didn't call me or just didn't want to be my friend, it usually happened that it was, it was just as much my fault as it was anybody else's. But because of my background and because of my own trust issues, I just want to blame it on them because it's easier, because it feels better, because that's just another drug that I can take in my life to, to feel good temporarily that hurts me in the long run.
So there's just a few of the observations that, uh, that I've had about Psalm 13. And now uh, we wanted to close with a song uh, and a very powerful song. I'm sure that you guys all know it. And uh, my wife is going to be singing in it again. So if you hear her, it's not a ghost. Um, and, uh, but I want you to be blessed tonight. And uh, I want, my hope is, is that, you know, every, when I speak, uh, I'm not one of those guys that, that goes after the altar calls. I, I would, I'd rather confuse you now and let it sink in later <laughs> than, than have a moment where everybody falls out and then just goes off and, and nothing ever happens, you know, because that happens all the time. You know, people look for the moment, look for the miracle, look for the sensation, uh, but they don't experience the life change. Uh, I want you to have something to chew on to think about. And like I said, it's all what I've learned. It doesn't mean it's true for you, uh, but I, I think that it is. I think that there's a lot of truth uh, in there, and I think that praying these psalms can be a power to you. But I would hope that as we sing this song, you can sing it. Uh, you can just sit and let us sing it over you uh, and, uh, and be blessed uh, and just continue to let the Lord um, you know, chew over what you heard tonight, uh, chew over what God is saying to you, um, and uh, you know, just allow him to continue to do work.